Welcome back, Saints. We're just on a foretaste of uh, what's going to be coming in the fall. I, we, of course, uh, because of the fact that we are, I guess you might say, we're not sandwiched between two services like we usually are and will be, there are probably is maybe a little less attendance maybe in our Sunday school than there would be, but we are definitely striving now to be able to make sure that our Sunday school is well attended and thank uh, those of you that are parents here today uh, with your youth or whoever it might be, your children, thank you very much for coming and being a part. Um, we're going to uh, take things a step at a time here. Um, that uh, little sheet of paper that you have with a hymn on it is something that we're going to sing at the end. Um, we're going to do some devotions with CFW Walther, and um, I'll take you through some of the texts. He has some interesting things to say. I did not know exactly how much time we would have uh, today. I suspect that it would probably be about 45 minutes. Uh, I also promised to the youth that we would maybe do some um, explanation of what is to come uh, in the up-and-coming uh, uh, youth tour. Uh, I say youth tour, the heritage tour. It includes both youth and also adults. And then I will at least give a verbal description of what's on the, on the, on the um, horizon here for a tour that is going to follow upon the youth tour that will be a tour to... Uh, St. Petersburg in Russia, and uh, as well as Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. So um, I was, um, I was, um, uh, we've been uh, working on, on uh, uh, making those arrangements, and um, they're a little bit more complex, so it isn't set in concrete yet, but the dates are there, and we have a pretty, we're pretty certain that things can work out. We have pastors that are going to be meeting us and working with us, meeting us in St. Petersburg and also in the Baltic countries. So, um, yeah, well, good to see everybody. Let's start with a prayer. O oh Lord and Savior, we pray that we may rightly understand your grace, that we may see so clearly in these beautiful metaphors how it is that you go about bringing us life and salvation in the tree. We pray that we might see that our fruit comes from you, that we cannot have life apart from you. Teach us to recognize and see the great dangers that lie in that teaching of works righteousness and thereby also come to appreciate the great heritage that has been bequeathed to us by those who have gone before us and fought the good fight of faith. This we pray, asking for your Holy Spirit this day to descend upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, the um, story here of, um, of our text, let's turn to Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 13. Since everybody has the same Bible, Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. And I think what we should do is, what we should do is have um, the women read the verse nine through twelve, and the men read from thirteen to fourteen. Um, let's, uh, are you ladies, ready? On your marks, get set, go. To some.
But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbled himself will be exalted. This is, um, this is one of the most comforting texts in the Bible for sinful people. And it is ultimately the most comforting text in the Bible if you really understand the fullness of what it means. Now, I don't know about you, but everybody, I think, just everybody that's in the world ultimately thinks of themselves in comparison to other people. So we are better than these people. We are not as good as these people. We are far more successful than those. And we are, of course, climbing the ladder to get to be like them. And then we come to realize that maybe, maybe God sees things differently. And you see Jesus, and you just wonder whether or not maybe when he was young, he was watching this. Maybe when he was 13 or 14 years of age and he went up to the temple, you know, and his mother and father took off, left him behind. Maybe he was watching. And he goes, the, he said, two men went up to the temple to pray. Now, one of the things about the temple was you could go into what was called the, this portico of Solomon. Even Gentiles could go there. They, uh, it, was a, it was a place for all nations. Now, you could not go into the court of women or the court of Israel, which is, in a sense, kind of like in our church. You can go into the narthex, but if you couldn't go into the sanctuary, that was the way it was with the Jews. You had to be a card-carrying, well-confessed, well-documented Jew in order to be able to walk into that court of, uh, of Israel, or they would put you to death. I was thinking about making a sign in our sanctuary. <laughs> and you know what, what happens with the sinful nature? If you say you can't, guess what? That makes people want to all the more. So we won't kill anybody, but maybe it'll be a way of getting people to come. Um, so he, this, this tax collector sinner is going up to the temple to pray. And there beside him is this very good, righteous, just very holy Pharisee. And on the outside, just like Jesus said, just like the tombs, on the outside it was all that beautiful whitewashed building. He had done everything that was expected of him as a Jew, always according to the law. And here is his tax collector who just simply by his profession, sometimes professions don't always go along with religion. Like, like, like for instance, professional uh, wrestling. You know, you kind of wonder whether or not those people, you know. Um, but, um, well, what was the name of that guy in Minnesota that became the, um, the governor of Minnesota? Jesse Ventura? Yeah, Jesse Ventura had been a member of my brother-in-law's congregation. And, um, and that was kind of interesting, especially when they started coming out with all the things that Jesse Ventura did before he became governor of Minnesota. But 
yeah, so everybody kind of cringes and you think, you know, oh, these people are terribly sinful. Yet, there goes these two people up to the temple. And the Pharisee, probably with his hands raised to heaven as they would pray in those days, has those hands up and he's really almost offering up to God all the good things that he has done and how wonderful he is. And he compares himself to other people. I really thank you that I am not like those people. I really thank you that I'm not like those people. I've done all these wonderful things for you. But all he's doing is looking at himself and the things that he has done. And when he leaves, he is not, the word is there, justified. Now, that's, we've all known as Lutherans, that's the, the, the language of the courtroom. When you go to the judge and the judge is bringing charges against you or somebody's bringing charges against you and the judge says, no, this person, based upon the evidence, is innocent. That relief, that feeling, that joy that comes with the fact that the law no longer is being held against you, that is the act of justification. And that Pharisee, because he was relying upon his own works, he never got that. He walked away and he was just simply probably asking himself, boy, do I feel good about the fact that I'm better than this one and boy, do I really have to work in order to be able to achieve the honor and the dignity of these other people who are also, maybe I can get a job in the Sanhedrin. Maybe I can someday be recognized as a scholar. It's always, but no forgiveness, no cleansing of the conscience, no sense of peace, no understanding of his relation. But there, this, this tax collector, he can't even lift up his eyes. And I think we have to remember that this is something that has its own kind of dynamic among us. We can talk all we want to about how it is that we could confess our sins, we could be open about who it is that we are, we could really give our, our heartfelt confession to one another as Christians. But the fact of the matter is, is that the minute that Mona Hand opens her mouth and tells everybody about what she did when she was a child. See, I, I use Mona because nobody will believe me when I tell you what her sins are. <laughs> now, yeah. But if I use Carol, everybody would believe. So. <laughs> Anyway, um, so you open up your heart and you tell everybody what your sins are and you know, every time that you look at that person, you see that sin. And that person can't escape the stigma. That's the verdict of the law. That's what the law does. The law condemns. And people see people and their sins in a, man, in a spirit of condemnation. He stands before God and he beats his chest of course, you know full well that what that beating of the chest means is the fact that he is feeling extreme remorse over what it is that he is and what he has done and the fact that he cannot become anything different. But he makes an interesting statement. We sing it in our liturgy. Have mercy. The word there is related to the word for what was happening inside, behind the veil, the Holy of Holies. When that high priest went up and sprinkled that blood once a year upon 
the mercy seat. Telasterion is what it was called. When he sprinkled the blood upon the mercy seat and the priest came out from behind the veil, it meant that God had forgiven the sins of the people for that year. He'd washed away their sins. He knew, he's no dummy, he knew that the blood of animals doesn't forgive sins. That what actually God was doing is he was giving his people, remember we talked today in the sermon about, it's kind of nice to have one service because when I say what we talked about in the sermon, you guys are not going, well, we're going to second service. We don't know what in the world he's talking about. And that these metaphors, these, these similes, these things are intended to always point to higher, more profound heavenly truths. And when he sees the blood sprinkled upon that altar, knows that that blood is being sprinkled upon that altar, that God is forgiving sins, that he is actually pointing to what it is that the Messiah would do when he entered into the heavenly sanctuary, it says in the book of Hebrews, and offered up his own blood. And when that high priest offered up his own blood, this blood, for the sins of the people, it meant that God would pardon them for their sins. And so Jesus says, he went away justified. All the weight of what he had done, all the guilt that he had felt, all the anxiety, he went away knowing that God had forgiven them for what he'd done. Now, from the standpoint of a human being, what we see and what God sees, two different things. And this is why it is that we have to be aware of why that teaching of justification by grace through faith is so important. Because if we do not believe that we are justified solely by what Christ has done for us, then we're going to be the Pharisee, comparing ourselves to others, looking at the works of others, looking at our works, always, always, always. How many of you ever had a gerbil when you were growing up? The gerbil will. That gerbil never gets anywhere. It just runs. That's what works righteousness does to you. You're trying to be able to get better and better and better and better. And then you get out, you fall off the, the wheel. Then you get back on the wheel. Some call it the wagon. <laughs> Let's see what it is that CFW Walther says here. It's kind of a big thing. He says, every religion wants to show people a way they can be righteous before God and be saved. But what way do they offer? The heathen, an old word, if you say, says, if you want to be righteous, give each person what is due him. If, however, you have not always fulfilled this duty, sacrifice to the gods. So, you know, that, that might be heathenism, but if you've ever seen anybody who has said, man, you know, I, 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 I got drunk last night and I said terrible things to my wife, I think what I'll do is give her some flowers today. That's called sacrificing to the gods. And we know what that means a woman is and should be to a man, right? But the pagan religions just took that a step higher. There's this God, and this God needs to be able to receive a gift from you and the gift is going to pay for your sin. He says, the Jew says, if you want to be righteous, be circumcised and keep the law of Moses and the traditions of the elders. The Muhammadan, we today call them uh, Muslims or the uh, Islamist, 
if you want to be righteous, confess that there is only one God and Muhammad is his prophet and conform yourself to the regulations of the Quran. The Roman Catholic says, if you want to be righteous, keep the commandments of God and the church. And if you want to be absolutely certain of your salvation, forsake the world, go into a monastery, and keep the threefold vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. The enthusiast, that's a word that's um, a really big Lutheran Reformation word. The enthusiast were those people who came along and kind of said, well, God is telling me this, and God is telling me that. They were the ones who supposedly had this direct pipeline to God. They didn't need the scriptures. It doesn't matter what it is the Bible says. The enthusiast was a person who just took it directly from God. He says, if you want to be righteous, pray and struggle until you have received another heart. And if you want to be absolutely righteous, do not rest until you are perfect and no longer sin. And you, all you have to do is follow this trail, and there are a lot of people. Um, have you ever, remember that song, Be of Sin, the Double Cure, Cleanse Me from Its Guilt and Power? That was, that was uh, Wesley, uh, the father of Methodism. And the double cure, you got that grace that God gave you, but you got the double dose of it when you became sinless. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, um, we were, um, uh, my wife was telling the story that my granddaughter has become an enthusiast. <laughs> well, maybe, excuse me, she is an enthusiast, and we need to make her into a Lutheran. <laughs> her grandmother missed the turnoff, and she, of course, knows exactly where she's supposed to be going, and she said, Mimi, calls her Mimi. We're supposed to turn back there, sitting in the back seat all strapped in. Mimi says, I'm, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I should have turned, I made a mistake. Well, Mimi, why don't we turn there? Why did you do that for? I'm sorry, I made a mistake. The third time, Mimi, why didn't we? Well, I'm sorry I made a mistake. Do you ever make mistakes? No, I never do. takes after her grandmother, um, <laughs> I think. But um, I just made a big mistake publicly saying that. <laughs> um, well, he goes on to say, the answers are diverse, but they are based on the same premise. A person can be righteous before God and be saved partly by good works and partly by inward moral improvement. What does today's reading say in response to this? Just the opposite. A Pharisee and a tax collector are placed before us. The Pharisee is described as a man of so-called good works, whereas a tax collector is characterized as a poor sinner without any good works. Of the Pharisee, it is said that he went into the temple to pray, and there he said to God in his heart, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. However, the tax collector could not in any way boast of these things. On the contrary, he was ashamed because of his unrighteousness up to that point. He did not even want to raise his eyes towards heaven, but instead beat on his breast and sighed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And yet, 
how wonderful. Christ says this tax collector returned to his house justified, while the Pharisee, with all his good works and righteousness before men, was not righteous before God. Um, just a little diversion on that. You know, it's so interesting to me that um, virtually never does any, uh, uh, do any of these people who had these incredible gifts of forgiveness given by Jesus, we never ever hear anything about what happened afterwards. Like, say, for instance, Zacchaeus, you know, the, this guy who is going to give half of his goods to the poor, and Jesus says, I'm going to come to your house. Salvation has come to your house this day. We never hear, and Zacchaeus fudged on that deal. <laughs> or, and by George, Zacchaeus did exactly what it is that he said he would do. And later on, he had five children, and he raised them all to be Lutherans. I mean, we, we don't hear anything like that in the Bible. I wonder, you say, well, I wonder why. Have you ever thought that maybe we would predicate the efficacy or the value of the truthfulness of what happened based upon how good of a life they lived thereafter? You know, we, this is the way that it works with sinners. Um, I've known a couple in my life. It always works like this. You start climbing up the hill, and you slide down the hill. And you climb up the hill, and you slide down the hill. And you climb up the hill, and you slide way down in the ditch. And then you start climbing back up the hill until the day comes that you die and you go to heaven. And it's a reality that if you judge to whether or not God's forgiveness was real based upon whether or not there was this, what, perfection, this... This, this uphill climb now, my life is getting better. That does not to say that it doesn't help. It doesn't mean to say that you cannot turn your life around. But the sinner is always the sinner all the way to the grave. And how many times have we not said to ourselves, you know, I don't know if I really got the forgiveness. I went to high school. I'll just call her Kathy, um, went to high school with a girl named Kathy, and her mother, who was, a, was one of my Sunday school teachers, just totally took a right turn off into the Pentecostal movement, and the Pentecostals are what we would call enthusiasts. They just get that Holy Spirit, right? So Kathy, you know, the Holy Spirit came on her, and by George, she was just, I mean, she got the Holy Spirit, and she was speaking in tongues, and she was having... She was just right up there on the spiritual high level, you know, where nobody else could go. And then, I, years later, I was doing a summer vicarage in Galveston, Texas, and found out that Kathy was living down there in Galveston. And so, went to see her. She, her father and my father had been close friends and the whole bit. So I went to see her, and lo and behold, she wasn't certain whether or not she was still a Christian. See, she had gotten the spiritual high, and doggone it, she couldn't maintain it. And what came afterwards, right? What matters is whether or not God is faithful. You, you have to... We had somebody who visited today. She's not here. 
she wanted to know, as she had, was raised a Lutheran, she wanted to know whether or not she should be rebaptized. I said, let me explain something to you. God is like a faithful father who always has the door of his house open to even his prodigal son. And never, never, never does the prodigal son ever not become the son. That's the whole point of baptism. God's unfailing, one-directional love given to us in our baptism that means that no matter what happens in our life, no matter what we have done, we can always go home. Remember that because it's tied in with this doctrine or teaching of justification by faith. That tax collector could go back to that temple and find forgiveness. He was a child of God, whether the world thought that way or not. Well, I'll read on. Justification of a poor sinner before God obviously does not require good works in a display of inner holiness. Rather, it derives from God's grace. Today when I said, the fruit doesn't say, now I need to do something in order to become a fruit. Because if you're a fruit, you're already a fruit. I don't know that that sounds right. There's some... <laughs> but, but you don't... I, I'm work, I'm, I think I'll just go on here. I'm just I'm <laughs> making a mess on myself. He says what? The sinner remains a sinner, but God declares him to be just despite his sins. We're all ugly tomatoes. According to our gospel, justification is not an act a person performs himself, but something done in him by God. It does not begin in a person's heart, but in the heart of God. It is not to be compared with the actions of a doctor who restores a sick person to health, but with the actions of a judge who acquits the accused criminal, not only releasing him from all punishment, but also, despite his crimes, awarding him all the rights of an innocent citizen. In short, justification is the forgiveness of sins. God sees a justified person as if he never sinned as if he had perfectly fulfilled the demands of God's law. Now that, you know, when I was in, in Connecticut, this guy came up and he gave me this quippy little thing, but it was the only way that he could understand it. Justification, he said, means it's just as if I had not done it. To be justified, God literally declares your sin to be pardoned. And then the Bible says, as far as east is from west, so far have I removed your sin from you. And only, good works, only can flow out of certainty in that promise. Are the kids done? It looks like it, the way that they're hanging outside, waiting for their parents to come you know, I don't ever get enough time. It's only a half an hour. All right. Well, let's, um, let, me, let me end with this. He says, David, I think he means King David, 
And all the rest of the Old Testament saints understood the mystery of this justification very well. The psalmist writes, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. So, um, I had thought we might sing that song. Uh, is, the, is Phil number two here? We had a Phil one and a Phil two. Is Phil one and Phil two out there? Well, okay. That goes Natalie. I mean, all of a sudden, when Jim Grady became a pastor, he starts ordering his daughters around in the church. <laughs> well, if, if, if it takes more than three seconds for Phil to get back here, uh, we'll probably just let you go. But we want to uh, extend our congratulations to our Vicar Grady now transformed like the butterfly coming out of that cocoon. Uh, Jim Grady is now our Pastor Grady, and so we want to congratulate him this morning. Really, yes. Speak, mother. Um, we, um, when, a, when, a, when a pastor, when a guy becomes a pastor, there are basically two people in the world that can claim all the credit. That's his mother and his wife. Oh, Phil's here. Phil, can we sing? Okay, we got an extra one there. There we go. No, I'll take one for myself. Oh, you got one now? Okay. All right. Just a note uh, that this hymnal was done in 1941. This is what we call the old hymnal, the red one. And you'll notice that we're all screeching. Um, our voices have actually collectively dropped. And that's one of the reasons why this hymnal is harder for us to sing. Um, so just a little explanation. Also, just very quickly, one thing I'd like to introduce a distant cousin, but kind of a close distant cousin and friend of mine. His name is Florian Virchow, uh, and Virchow, and he is, uh, you know, stand, stand up. Here he is. He's, uh, he came to visit, and his, uh, when I was in sixth grade, um, his grandfather and I uh, wrote back and forth to each other uh, in, from Germany. His grandfather had been our family genealogist, and he wrote to us, and he said there was going to be a family reunion, and I wrote back to him and said, tell me about my great-grandparents and such. 
and he wrote the nicest letter to me, all in German. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Florian's mother, uh, when I um, uh, when I went in high school, over to Germany, I got to know his mother, who had just come back from Africa, and uh, Florian was a little boy like this that uh, was there. I am his elder, and. Um, he, was, uh, he, he grew up to become a very hardworking and very successful businessman. And he is um, he's set now in 2019 to retire. So we're going to hang out together. And what was that German beverage we're going to drink? I forget what it is. Um. <laughs> All right. Receive a blessing, okay? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen.